United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. Hello again, everybody. I am Dean Linky. Welcome to another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Also want to thank each and every one of you that are catching up with the new webinars developed by United Soccer Coaches. I'm honored that Lynn Berling Manuel and Jeff Van Dusen and Erica Dyer and the whole gang asked me to host these webinars. Two already in the books this week. We've got one coming each week for the next several weeks through middle of May. So hope to join you on those as well. We will not stop the podcast. They'll be coming at you every week, including this one. A lot of things have been stopped, including spring sports. That includes high school sports so all of a sudden the breaks are on seniors they don't get to end what has been brilliant high school careers and it could mean that they don't get recognized for what they would have been and that is all americans john mayer has been a member of united soccer coaches since 1979 he tells the story about going down to atlanta He's been hooked ever since and hooked in a big way. He has been 35 plus years the high school girls All-America chair. He's been a longtime member of the All-America Awards Committee, working in conjunction with Steve Veal, including several years as that chair as well. I mean, you name it, he's done it, geared around the All-America and the awards for United Soccer Coaches. John Mayer will kick off the show, giving an update on how they're going to deal with recognizing these spring teams that have been cut short, particularly the seniors. They are going to put a heavy emphasis on at least recognizing the great student-athletes. Nobody does it better than United Soccer Coaches recognizing players and coaches for their great success on and off the field. We do feel like now is a good time to evergreen and reflect, and we do that with Bo Dewar, who writes for Soccer America, used to write for USA Today. Right around the time of the convention, he had just released a book called Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup. He joins me along with Glenn Crooks, who is a friend of United Soccer Coaches. He often has Ian Barker on his SiriusXM show. He also has him on his On Frame podcast, Glenn Crooks has worked with me at the Big Ten Network, the former Rutgers women's coach who coached Carly Lloyd. Bo and Glenn joined me together there in segment two. And then if you remember, Megan O'Keefe, the talented young broadcast superstar, joined me for a couple days at the convention in Baltimore. She was able to catch up with Becky Burley, the longtime coach at Florida who won a national championship. She has done so much for the game and so much for women in the game. We'll wrap up with Megan O'Keefe's interview with Becky Burley. We start, though, with John Mayer, who is huge with United Soccer Coaches Awards. John Mayer, after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by TeamSnap. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us during this tough times as we are working through COVID. In fact, we're even coaching through COVID. A reminder that a couple of webinars this week as well, as we've got a podcast and two webinars, at least one webinar every week through early May. We hope to join you either via the podcast or via the webinar. We're pleased to be joined by John Mayer. No, not the musician. He's much better looking than the musician. We're talking about John Mayer, who's been a member of United Soccer Coaches since 1979, 35 years He's been the high school girls All-American chair, and he's been on the awards committee chair. How many years on the overall awards committee chair, John? To the chair, about seven or eight, but on the committee ever since Jeff Farnsworth uh, started it. All right, beautiful. Thanks so much uh, for being with us here, and particularly because 
there was still some high school action going on there in some of those states as you were continuing to track it, and you're still going to honor some high school players across the country, right? Yes, we're going to do our best. Uh, there's 23 states across the country that have some kind of high school soccer being played in the spring, and we know about 14 of those have already had their seasons shut down, and we really feel bad for the coaches and especially for the senior players who've given a lot of time in the last two, three, four years to those varsity programs. Now, one of the things that uh, we're seeing, particularly in the collegiate game, when they eliminated their seasons, they went ahead and said, hey, here are still the, the players of the year. Even some of the starts for the short spring seasons, they were able to do it through just, you know, six or seven games. Are you going to be able to accomplish that uh, with such a limited sample size? Well, we're going to take a look at it, and we're going to let each state decide how they would like to do it. I know some states have chosen to participate in polling their coaches to see what kind of, uh, to try and recognize some of the senior players. Some of the states have decided that since their seasons never really even got started, didn't even have a chance to practice, that they didn't feel comfortable doing that. But we're going to let the states decide how they want to recognize the players as far as All-America is concerned, as well as all regions. In your conversation with the coaches, particularly you already said it, you know, about the seniors. I've never met an organization that does a better job recognizing, you know, particularly the seniors as well. What kind of response are you getting from the coaches? I'm sure they're heartbroken, but what are they saying to you? Oh, yeah, it's it's beyond belief as to what's going on. And, of course, they all recognize that for the greater good, the seasons had to be canceled to keep the kids safe and their family safe and coaches safe and everybody safe, but they're just heartbroken about it, and I, I feel bad for them, too, having coached for 35 years to have a season pulled out from underneath you just, it's got to be tough. You, you spent months ahead planning and thinking about it and who's going to play where and what, and all of a sudden, it's over. Uh, you're not even going to get a chance to do that. It just, it's got to be tough on them all, so we're trying to give them something that they'll be able to still be able to recognize their players. We have the All-America, as we mentioned. We also have the Scholar All-America program, which is for seniors only that have had a great point average of 3.75 and have done exceptionally well out on the field. We want coaches to take advantage of that. We have ways that they can get the transcripts. We know many, many schools are closed across the country and will not reopen, and they rely on the guidance counselors to get the transcripts. But most of the seven-semester transcripts that we need have already been uploaded into college application manage electronic management systems, so we know the coaches can make those available. We've got some instructions for them on the website for that. We also have what we call the Senior Excellence Award, which normally we let a member coach pick one player on his team that he feels has been outstanding for the program and exhibit some great qualities. But what we're going to do this year, since it's a crazy, crazy situation, we're going to let the coach maybe name two or three of those, and we'll be happy to send them some certificates for their Senior Excellence Award also. Again, just trying to find some way to, you know, put a smile on some kid's face across the country. Well, make no mistake, education is really big with United Soccer Coaches, but so are awards. I mean, awards, when you think about percentage-wise, I don't know exactly what that percentage is, but the amount of focus United Soccer Coaches has put on awards for a gazillion years has been a high priority, right, John? Well, <laughs> I'm a little biased. Uh, yes, I do think so. We get to recognize lots and lots of people throughout the country. There's some over 11,000 opportunities for a coach or a player to be recognized through the organization. The All-America Program, the Coach of the Year Program, the Scholar All-America Program, the Program, the other programs we've got going on. We have the, the Great Team Academic Award Program, which coaches will still be able to nominate their teams for and as long as they qualify for that. There's so many ways that a coach can help get some recognition, and, and we find that when the players get these recognitions, those coaches that are in public schools and or private schools, when the boards of the schools, the school boards or the board of trustees at their schools find out about these awards, they get real excited. The Team Academic Award is, is very popular amongst those people getting recognition as well as the Scholar All-Americans. Because like you said, education and, and high school sports go hand-in-hand hand with each other.
Now, getting our crystal ball out and let's wish for the best and let's assume that by the time the convention rolls around next January in Anaheim, we're in the clear. And this is in the rearview mirror with the exception of, you know, always being aware of it and perhaps being more ready next time around. But uh, with that crystal ball, how do you think the canceling of so many high school seasons will affect what we're doing in Anaheim? John, if you could predict that, what do you think we'll see? Fortunately, the college seasons all, you know, we'll hopefully in the fall we'll see the college seasons playing. So that's quite a bit of our All-Americas and, and staffs of the year programs will be recognized through that. So that will help us a lot. The high schools, because of the, the states here in the spring, we'll see a little bit less representation on the All-America teams and those type of things. But we're certainly going to try to, to make sure we can still get as many kids recognized as we possibly can. Well, and with that, kind of going back to your earlier point, it does sound like, and I want to reemphasize this, based on the ability to get the transcripts, uh, regardless of the fact of whether they were able to play their games, you're going to recognize seniors that uh, held themselves high in the classroom and maybe didn't get to play their senior year but delivered the goods academically, right? Yeah. The additional chair for that is Ruja Kopian. And he's been doing a great job still trying to get it out there. We're trying to make sure that as the season finishes, like we just had the winter season finish, we send notices out to all those members saying, don't forget the Scholar All-America program. And we'll be doing the same thing here as the spring season continues, and we try to get figure out what they want to do as far as recognizing their players. And then final, you know, there's been a lot of discussion on the importance and merits of high school soccer. Both my kids played high school soccer, but they played multiple sports in high school, and I think they still consider it some of their best times during their high school years. What's your blanket statement on the importance of high school soccer, John Mayer? You know, it certainly, as a kid growing up, it, it gave me an avenue to really be involved in my high school. I've watched kids really get into the spirit of a sport, and all of a sudden they realize, if they can play soccer, maybe they can play another sport, too. And so they try out for something else. And all of a sudden you see a kid really blossom as they become a member of the team and part of the team and, and win or lose, they're part of that. And they go home and they feel good about themselves and they come back to school and they want to keep up with the rest of their teammates as far as academics and, and other things. So there's so much that goes on with high school soccer that nobody can really put their finger on how much or how much how important it is. We just know that it's a great thing for kids to participate in, and we're so glad that they do. We heard your passion about how much you enjoy your role recognizing these great athletes, high school and, in fact, college, but, you know, 35-plus years as the High School Girls All-America chair, a member of United Soccer Coaches since 1979. My final question will just be, what keeps you coming back, John? Because every time I see you, I know that this is real because you love it so much. Why do you love this organization so much, particularly why do you love this role so much? 35 years is a long time to do anything. Well, Fran Bacon was my college coach, and I had moved to Atlanta. And one Friday day, uh, one during the school day on Friday, I got a call from him. He said, John, you got to get down here to this convention. I said, Fran, where are you? He goes, I'm in Atlanta, and we're at the soccer coaches' convention. So I went down for a Saturday, and I was just in awe of, of all that I saw and all that I learned. And, and over the years, the, the association, whatever accomplishments I was able to achieve while coaching, I know the, the Soccer Coach Association helped me get there through the education programs, through the clinics, through just camaraderie with other coaches and sitting around at the convention at lunch to share in stories and, and, thinking, and talking about situations. How did you handle this? How did you handle that? And not just field play, X's and O's, but kids and, and parents and, and how to get along with all those people to make your program successful. So the association has just been invaluable to me. And the friends I've made and are all like family to me now because I've known them for so long. And it's just been a great place to be during good times, the bad times, the crazy times. And they've just been very supportive of me and, and the positions I've held. And I just hope that I've given back as much as they've given me. Well, and I'm sure in 35 years, I can tell based on your reaction by my, you know, poor attempt at humor, you've heard the John Mayer joke enough to just blow it off, just like you did with me, so <laughs> quite, a few, quite a few times, right, John? Well, Ray Sieplick did it one time when John Mayer was in his in his heyday, Ray Sieplick purposely announced me one time in, at the All-America Banquet by saying, and our next presenter is John Mayer, 
and all the people in the audience just gasped. But then when I got on stage, they all groaned. So it was really kind of depressing. There you go. All right, cool. Well, uh, listen, we appreciate all you do, and we appreciate you still trying to recognize these great high school student-athletes in any way you can. If anybody can do it, I know you and United Soccer Coaches will make their best attempt to recognize these great athletes, particularly the seniors that had their high school careers cut short. John Mayer, 35 years as the High School Girls All-America Chair, longtime member of the Awards Committee Chair, longtime member of United Soccer Coaches, John Mayer, thanks for being on the program. Dean, thanks so much for your time today. Always have time for John Mayer, and glad that he mentioned Jeff Farnsworth. Those are, like all of the members of United Soccer Coaches, those are the good people of United Soccer Coaches. Always bring a smile to my face, especially backstage of the Friday night ceremony every single year with the Honorable Dr. Ray Sieplick. Great to be with John Mayer. You know, you think about the convention. We had some great Evergreen interviews we still need to share with you, and now's a perfect time, right, as we continue to deal with COVID and how we're coping and ways to cope and when are we going to get through it. I was able to sit down with Bo Dewar, longtime writer with USA Today, who's now featured prominently with Soccer America, among other places. He just wrote a book that was released right around convention time that's called Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup, an historical and cultural reality check that is worth talking about. And he and Glenn Crooks, Glenn Crooks, who often has Ian Barker on his programs. Glenn Crooks does a little bit of everything. He's a commentator for New York City FC games for Major League Soccer. I've called games with him on the Big Ten Network. He's got his own podcast called On Frame through Pro Soccer USA. He is on Sirius XM, and he also coaches in the PDA system. Former coach at Rutgers. He's known for coaching Carly Lloyd at Rutgers. Bo and Glenn sat down with me and I think you'll find it interesting. Of course, they'll talk about the book, Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup. But they'll also talk about, at the time in January, some issues that were going on with U.S. soccer that have started to get sorted out. Cindy Parlo-Cone is in there now. They just hired a new secretary general. You'll hear me refer to him as CEO, almost the same thing I do believe. And so that's exciting news. And they also are trying to figure out the youth soccer scene. So we talk about all of that, and we also talk about women and equal pay. I think you'll enjoy that interview. That's coming up. Bo Dewar just wrote this book, Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup. The multi-talented Glenn Crooks after this message. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help, and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We're on podcast row at the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. That means we're with the Movers and Shakers doing a little combo interview here, which I'm excited about. Glenn Crooks, who I've called a lot of games with on the Big Ten Network, former superstar Rutgers coach. He gets all the credit for Carly Lloyd, of course. <laughs> of course. 100%. He's got a show on Sirius. He's also got a podcast called On Frame once a week through Pro Soccer USA. And then you got Bo Dewar, who... Pretty famous USA Today man, Soccer America, and now he's got this new book, Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup, and what's the rest of that title? A Historical and Cultural Reality Check. And that is the real deal, so <laughs> talk about that reality check and what made you want to write that book. Well, in the 2018 U.S. Soccer Presidential Election, all sorts of ideas were floating around, a lot of them good ideas, but I think it really hit home how unrealistic our expectations can be about how we have not embraced the role of an underdog the way that we should. You know, we should be celebrating 
the triumphs that we have. 2002 World Cup, good run. 2009 Confederations Cup, upset Spain. And we should really take a good hard look at where we came from to see just what a miracle that is in a country that fell behind by 100 years and had very limited soccer, had cultural forces that actively worked against uh, soccer developing in any way, shape, or form. And thankfully, it kept going and kept a foothold here and got to be a lot better, but the rest of the world's getting better too. Well, that's a great point. I mean, who could forget even back in the early 90s when we beat Brazil at the L.A. Coliseum? Mm -hmm. We should be celebrating that. However, right now we're not celebrating. We're panicking a little bit, right, because we didn't make the last World Cup. We're not quite sure what we're looking at right now as well. And, Glenn, I'll let you jump in on it as well. I mean, that title to me has got a lot of merit based <laughs> on what we're seeing right now for sure. Yeah, and I think uh, it's interesting. I'm hearing Bo respond to your questions, and I'm it, it, it it's um, I feel like I just heard it because <laughs> I had him on my podcast just before you dragged us here. But uh, it's great to be with you, Dean. Yeah, I um I think I think we deal uh, with reality when we're talking about uh, our U.S. men's national team program and uh, where it might go. And I don't think uh, one of the things we discuss, and I think it makes sense, is that you know if, if we if we develop a program that gets uh, you know, into a, a quarterfinal arena or maybe even into a semifinal, as Jurgen Klinsmann told us he would have done <laughs> if, if he were still the coach uh, uh, for the Russia 2018 World Cup. But I, I think I think we look at those things, and those are enormous accomplishments. Podcast Row is great because we just sit here, and everybody knows Dean, and, you know, he's got to wave and sign autographs while he's doing an interview. You are good, man. You are good. <laughs> I love when you make things up, too, Glenn. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, when you think about I like he brought up the fact that you're in Klinsman's chatty again right now. <laughs> when you reflect on what did take place and firing Jurgen and then bringing in Bruce and then falling short, how much of that made you say, hey, I got to write this book? There's a slide in a presentation I'm doing uh, later today with the U.S. Soccer uh, Society for um, American Soccer History, which is a great organization. And I have... Um, one chapter in the book is we're obsessed with the quick fix and I have all these things that pop up you know promotion relegation will fix everything let's focus on passing no wait dribbling and then I have hire Klinsman and then I have a big X that goes through it and says fire Klinsman uh, I think Klinsman is really a great case study in how we think one idea or one person can fix everything and you know, the people who hired Klinsman didn't realize that the problems are much deeper than that, and Klinsman himself has never realized the problems are much deeper than that. Uh, and as I was telling Glenn earlier, you look at other countries and the talent pool they have. We look at Christian Pulisic as the savior right now, just as we looked at Landon Donovan as the savior before him. Other countries may have 20 Landon Donovans or 20 Christian Pulisic. We have one, and then we have a bunch of people who are at a slightly lower level than that. And that's what we're up against, and that's the function of having other countries that have been spending generations obsessed with this sport that has only recently become a U.S. obsession, but still a U.S. obsession behind American football and baseball and basketball. Where we sit right now, Glenn, because I know you're in the middle of it because you do stuff with uh, NYCFC. There's going to be 30 teams in a couple years in Major League Soccer. Does 30 teams at that level help us, or does it not do anything to advance the notion of the U.S. men winning a World Cup? As you say, never, but obviously we all hope it will happen. Are we moving forward with that many teams or not really? I've heard uh, oftentimes that and, and when MLS was born, you know, part of its uh, makeup, part of its mission was to help the U.S. men's national team. Right. And I understand that. However, I put myself in as a coach, as a sporting director, and I'm getting paid a salary to win matches. So there's a couple of things here. So there's been um, some discussion about, you know, you have to have you know, a certain amount of Americans on the field or, or teenage Americans or however that might go. And I, I disagree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I think we can develop. We bring in players from different cultures. You mentioned New York City FC. There's a 20-year-old named Tati Castellanos who's a sensational player and how he goes at it in training every day and what he can do on the ball, what he does off the ball. And he grew up in Argentina in an environment where he was just playing in the streets. 
our American boys can learn from that. Mm. That kind of thing. So I'm I'm always about, uh, and I thought in the early days of the of the women's league when the foreign players came in the internationals, I think they showed you know how to play the game to our American ladies, and I think the same thing is going on now in MLS. Bo, can you comment on uh, how you think MLS is going to help us debunk your book? <laughs> no, I think it's, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when there was nothing. And I think that's, again, something people don't really appreciate. I mean, I think it was um, it was either Mike or Paul with uh, Soccer America who used to say, if you think soccer in the U.S. is bad now, just remember 1985. And <laughs> so, you know, I think, you know, having a professional league does a number of things. And having that many uh, cities involved, is good in the sense that it just simply has more it, it builds fan culture for one thing and fan culture is uh to some extent the root of things because you have to have fans if you don't have people supporting your clubs and supporting your program then you're not going to have the resources to do much of anything now is it too i've heard people say well the talent pool is going to be too thin i i don't accept that i think that um, mls clubs have gotten really good at scouting the rest of the americas we've made it a destination league maybe not for you know maybe not for uh, leo messi right now but certainly for good players that have been signing with nyfc and and with atlanta so i think there's enough talent there um it's a little bit difficult to keep track of um i'm as a journalist i sort of uh, more in the days when there were 10 teams and I knew I could name the starting lineup for each of them. Now you have teams I can barely tell you one player. Mm. Uh, so that makes it uh, difficult, but I think it's good to have uh, good level competition in that many cities. I like that you use the word culture. I'll use a segue here now. So part of the reason why I think about your book as well, I mean, right now there's a lot of banter about the culture at U.S. soccer and <laughs> it's not exactly great PR at the moment, you know, so talk about how they got to get that culture right to get things moving in the right direction. Yeah, well, it's another example of trying to get everyone on the same page. And another cultural force that works against soccer in this country is that we're such individuals. Uh, you know, we are, uh, and we everyone has an idea for how to fix things. Uh, people come over from England and say, we can fix things. People come in from Mexico and say, we can fix things. One organization has a different registration system. Well, we're going to form our own organization because we can fix things. And so then it's really difficult to get everyone on the same page. Is some idea having a... Some, in some respects, having a marketplace of ideas is a good thing, uh, but then you need people to share ideas and try it. When you're talking about a national program, you really have to get everyone together. And in fact, you know, United Soccer Coaches does a much better job of that than U.S. Soccer does, which right. is good for you guys. They're the true unifier, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, the true unifier. Everyone comes here and shares ideas, but um, U.S. Soccer needs to be able to harness that energy as well. So... There you go, Glenn. You know, we got Ernie, we got Brian, we got Kate, so we kind of have that sort of part of the technical aspect overlooking the players, but we don't really know who's going to be running U.S. soccer as far as the business part of it, which it shapes everything you do as well, right? How you get things set up, how you make the next level, how you work with the academy, what you do deal with ECNL. I mean, PR-wise, it's not... It doesn't smell too good right now. No, and uh, and there's going to be a director of methodology. Don't forget that. That was also <laughs> in that uh, conference call. Ernie Stewart just kind of put it out there. I, don't, I haven't heard too many people talk about that, but he just kind of threw it out there. Oh, we're also adding a director of methodology. So you have GMs. I thought that's what Kate Margraff was doing, to right. be honest with you. Yeah. She was setting the tone for how... The how she her vision for how she wants the team to play. Yeah, she hires Vlatko Andonovsky, who plays in a way that she desires the full team to play. Right, and now she's filling in with youth national team coaches who are who right. are Laura, uh, given yep, that yep. Um, who you know have a way they want to play. They're intelligent coaches and they teach an intelligent game of soccer. So I don't. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right that um, if the things we've heard are true, and you just have to assume uh, they are or were, that uh, every day you go into work, you're in an environment that makes you uncomfortable, and that's at the top, mm -hmm. then we're in a, we're in a difficult realm. Yeah. Why do you think, do you think youth national team coaches that have been recruited didn't want to move to Chicago because they didn't want to move or didn't want to move to Chicago because she didn't, they didn't want to be in that office. Right. Yeah. 
could be the combination of both. Yeah, so, both. you know, yeah. and I think that mandate uh, is a mistake. Uh, I, I talked to a guy yesterday, Steve Morris from FC United. He's the uh, DA Academy director, and he worked with uh, the new U15 coach It was just hired, Gonzalo Sagaris. So I was trying to get a profile on Sagaris, you know, for the, for the audience. And it, it was interesting because I brought up the mandate, and he said, well... I, I think it's a. I, I like the idea because that collaboration we have in our own club, sitting down, getting the whiteboard, going over things, is good for us. Mm-hmm. But he did agree that it's somewhat unrealistic to think of it on the Chicago level, bringing people from in from all over the the country. You're, you're losing. You're losing prospects, Bo. Yeah, we are. And and what I think that fails to realize, I mean, Ernie Stewart, I think some people have said this, and bear in mind, he's he had one of the greatest playing careers of any U.S. player. Uh, it, it was vitally important to World Cup and the World Cup qualifying. But he's looking at this as if it's the Netherlands. What's the square mileage of the Netherlands? It's pretty easy to go around. You can have everyone, okay, we're going to have everyone based in Amsterdam. And okay, great, you can cover the whole country that way. If you have coaches that are sitting in Chicago, uh, how are you going to get the prospect in Dallas or the prospect in Los Angeles or the prospect in Boise? Great point. Right. And so you have to uh, – one of the things that Germany did with Das Reboot uh, was that they put training centers all over the place. They, they asked the clubs to do academies, but they also had this parallel program uh, where you were never too far – uh, from a training academy. And I think that's, I think it was Dave Vanderberg who made the point that said, you know, look, the, the, if I go to Chicago and we have a handful of players and uh, I only have, you know, how often do I have a practice field? No it's place cold. to train. No yeah. place to train. No place to train. Right. Lose, by the way, losing that guy, yeah. Vanderberg, best, he was the best coach in the program, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because he, what he did with the players was he, he, he was developing and that U15s was perfect perfect for our program players were uh, unafraid to make mistakes so they played without fear they tried things and he created that sort of an environment and this is a guy to me he was so vital for the program no coach in the world will tell you hey it's not it's it's great to get together with your colleagues what are we doing here yeah at the convention that's one of the big parts of it you know you're going to run into people you're going to sit down you're going to move salt and pepper shakers we love that we love that interaction and we learn from each other that way but as far as and and Bo, you know the Amsterdam versus yeah, it's a you great know, analogy. Yeah, you know the, the, this this thing we've got here is uh, you know is well, it's valid. Great it's valid. to be here with Bo Dewar and Glenn Crooks talking soccer and don't want to take too much more of your time. But uh, we did cover the men. I mean, I guess the the final capper on those comments. Let's hope for proper leadership and then let's hope for some common sense. Is kind of what you're saying on uh, how they approach all of that. Glenn, let's also switch to women. Obviously, you were a longtime coach at Rutgers. Bo, Jill Ellis is getting a ton of awards here. She deserves a lot of credit for winning back-to-back World Cups. Glenn already talked about the new hire in Vladko. Do you guys see them missing a beat at all, or do you see them rolling into the Olympics and taking home the gold medal? I'll let you both talk about uh, the new coach and where they're headed. I think it uh, makes it easier to be the first to win back-to-back, having a fresh voice. You know, when you think about it, any coach, whether it's on the collegiate level, club level, uh, and I think a lot of times, you know, I think Eddie Howe's going through to Bournemouth. You know, that sometimes the players just uh, stop listening to the message. It's just, it's too often, and it becomes very difficult. So I think the timing of Jill's departure and uh, and Vladko entering is really good because he's also teaching the game uh, differently. So the players are, you know, just take Carly Lloyd for instance. She's just stoked because it's a, it's a fresh voice, mm-hmm. she, and and she's getting a fresh start. And I think a lot of the players feel the same way. So I think the timing is good, and I think uh, heavy, heavy favorites. I would be, I, I'm at the point where I'd be surprised if they don't do the double. I really would win the gold medal. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're also seeing all the stuff <laughs> about you know equal pay and everything else. I mean, as all that settles, is that going to disrupt anything, or can they keep on rolling? And and by the way, Bo, what do you think is going to end up happening with all that? Well, I think the the women themselves are pretty good at compartmentalizing and focusing on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, they I don't they have good leaders. I, I think perhaps even less so the ones that you hear more about, like Megan Rapino, more so the people who you don't hear as much outside their dressing room, uh, like Becky Sauerbrunn. Right. So I think that they have, you know, the veterans who will who will keep them focused. And, and 
I, I wouldn't worry uh, so much about that. In terms of how the, uh, the pay issue will settle out, it's fairly complicated because I mean, a lot of different factors that, you know, the U.S. women play more uh, home friendlies and the men have to go play in Honduras to qualify. It's, it's a different set of circumstances. And then they look at Norway has what they call equal pay. Australia has what they call equal pay. And everyone was retweeting, oh, isn't this wonderful? Australia has equal pay. Until you look at the actual deal and you, re- you see that it's equal in the sense that they get the same percentage of World Cup bonuses. So you might get, and I mean, Australia is better than Norway, you might get 50% of what the Federation brings in as prize money, uh, which for the men is going to be a lot more money than it would be for the women. So if you offered the U.S. women right now, if you offer them the same deal that Australia gave to its men and women with too much acclaim, the women would reject it outright very quickly. So that's all very complicated, and uh, there's... With the women, there is a bit of a disconnect between what you see and what's going on. And I'm less optimistic that they'll win uh, the Olympics because I look at it now sort of like uh, an NCAA basketball tournament where the best team in the country might only be a 5-1 to favorite to win because there's so many other teams that can. The U.S., I think, is the best team in the world. Mm -hmm. That means they might have a 60% chance of winning this game, a 60% chance of winning the next game, 60% chance of winning the next. Well, eventually those odds end up less than 50-50. So that's the way of viewing it. What are these percentages, man? Remind me not to play him in Scrabble or any kind of technical games. What is going on? They are the best team. (laughs) You don't agree with the the fresh start approach and they'll be a little bit more lively and and maybe in a a mental state to to really get it done this time. Well, I do think the coaching uh, works out pretty well. I do think Jill Ellis did a fantastic job. Uh, It is difficult to manage the egos of the women's national team. Tom Sermani couldn't do it. Um, Pia Sunhaga could. Jill Ellis could. And Jill Ellis came up. I, it took months after the fact that I started to realize the brilliant things that Jill Ellis had done, uh, a lot of them having to do with, you know, the wingbacks uh, really keeping pressure off the, uh, you know, off the more forward players, you know, like Megan Rapino, letting Rapino and Tobin Heath stay more forward. And I actually was thinking, you know, I, I don't. I agree with the U.S. Soccer Women's Soccer Player of the Year being Julie Ertz rather than Megan Rapino. But then I would see these awards that Rapino would win, uh, like Sports Illustrated Sportswoman of the Year, uh, and I would think, well, I don't know who would be better. And then finally cr- occurred to me just recently, it should have been Joe Ellis uh, because of what she did with that team. And so Vlatko has very big uh, shoes to fill. But I agree that you know. Uh, as even when things are going well, it's nice to sometimes get a breath of fresh air in. I think this U.S. team might be one of the best teams to go into an Olympics. Uh, the problem is, and I go into this in the book a little bit, the rest of the world's getting better too, which for women's soccer is a very good thing. But it means, again, when I talk about the percentages, I, you know, I hate to talk about that, but you look back at the USA's run through the World Cup, uh, they needed a rather dodgy decision to get a penalty kick to get the winning goal mm-hmm. against Spain. I, they probably would have won in extra time, but um, you know you needed a little bit of luck there. Um, and you know there were there were little bits of good fortune that helped them along the way, even though they were the best team. Now in the 2016 Olympics, there were little bits of good fortune that went the other way, and they went out in the quarterfinals. So well, that, that that's yeah. that's different. I think Jill Ellis became a better coach along the way, too. Sure. That tournament was mismanaged. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heather O'Reilly was left home. Megan Rapino was added. And I know in training, she was still dragging around that leg. Yep. She got the opportunity to play, wasn't ready, forced an extra substitution in that quarterfinal game. Right. I mean, that. Uh, some of that was on the coach, mm-hmm. what happened at the Olympics in 2016. But I give credit to Jill. I mean, she she's the only female to go through the what is a fairly new uh, U.S. soccer pro license, the only female out of like 47 yeah. who have passed. And I've uh, talked to more than one uh, gentleman who was with her in her class that said she was the best presenter. I mean, she was yeah. she was good, you know, and so I don't I don't I don't say that uh, Jill Ellis uh, 
was the complete person at fault in the Olympics. I thought she stepped in it a little bit in 2015 in the World Cup, <laughs> maybe tr starting the tournament in the wrong shape, right. and then was forced out of that shape with two yellow cards right. that were uh, Rapino and Holiday were forced out. So I look back at all those things, but I think I think coaches develop. Right. When Bruce Arena yeah. came back to replace Klinsman, it was like, uh, he's 67. What are you talking about? This guy's coached club soccer for the last 10 years, won all these MLS Cups. He know, he's, he better knows now how to manage a team because of that. Right. And that's one of the things he said. I mean, we have to give credit to people for, for bettering themselves, looking yeah. back, and you know, things like that. Yeah. Jill Ellis had a great 2019 World Cup. Well, and I think yeah. it's fitting that we're here at the United Soccer Coaches Convention because Jill's going to get some well-deserved recognition, and now she can kind of sit back and decide she could do nothing and be good right. or she can <laughs> do something later. Last thing for both you guys, and it's something that's been on my mind, knowing the growth of NWSL, knowing the boost that they had after the Women's World Cup and seeing it, love where you are there. Glenn with Sky Blue FC now playing over at Red Bulls Arena. That should be great and their improvement yeah. in crowds and everything else. I'm hoping the Olympics also keeps that going. I do have a fear that after the Olympics, these European teams with major, major pocketbooks are going to shell out a million bucks to a Sam Mewis or a Crystal Dunn or these players that I think are so critical to the NWSL. I don't know if you guys have thought about that at all, but I do worry about that down the road that we might lose some of those megastars and what I call the best league in the world could drop down a little bit because of it. Tell me that's not going to happen or is it going to happen? It's already happened, hasn't it? Uh, the best Sam player in the Kerr. world. Best player yeah. in the world has uh, gone overseas. Uh, the good news for the NWSL is that I think top to bottom, it's certainly the best league in the world. I mean, you go to Germany yeah, no and you have, yeah, you have Wolfsburg and um, I think Bayern's gotten pretty good recently, uh, but then the rest of the teams are not the great. The rest of the yeah. teams are not good. France, you have Lyon spending a ton of money and then you have teams that are semi-pro at best uh, in the top division. Uh, so only a handful of teams can throw that much money around. Now, will there be enough teams that they can lure over you know, Crystal Dunn and uh, Sam Mewis and maybe take 10 of the uh, top players in the U.S.? Possibly, and that's, that's a bad thing for the fan growth um, of the NWSL. Of course, Crystal Dunn's already been there. You know, she was over at Chelsea for a while. Um, the growth of the NWSL, I think, is absolutely essential because uh, imagine where we would be right now if we didn't have that mm. with Europe growing its women's game the way it has. Um, and that points to the difficulty, and there is a chapter in my book where, where I say, are the problems in U.S. soccer, these cultural forces, and then the um, disorganization, is that going to come back to hurt the U.S. women? Uh, I think it already is at the youth level, and it may come back to hurt them down the road. Now, a strong NWSL cures a lot of those ills. The youth level's a mess. <laughs> Development Academy is not working. It's in competition with ECNL. Many uh, of the strongest clubs in our country uh, did both, DA and ECNL. And they just, uh, and what I know, and I work at a club that was DA and ECNL, the parents did not like the De Development Academy, didn't like how it was going. I mean, there's, there's a number of particular things, but it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a mess. And that is going to, yep. down the road, have, have some impact. But I also think that we shouldn't get too crazed if a player every now and then leaves America to go experience something else. Because okay. I, I remember, it, so Tobin Heath, uh, these are these are players I've talked to about their experiences. Tobin Heath, uh, Heather O'Reilly, and Carly Lloyd all going mm -hmm. to, uh, well, uh, Tobin to France, and Carly and Heather to England. And they all said the same thing. They just, it was so cool, the culture, because it was soccer. Mm -hmm. If they went in to get a cup of coffee, people, it was soccer. soccer. Mm -hmm. If they went into a restaurant, soccer matches were on the TV, yeah. not American basketball. or So, you know, go to Canada, you can't. <laughs> It's hockey, whatever it is. But it's um, – and that was important to them, to, yeah. to have that experience. Well and they all came back. Yep. They yep. all came back. Well, so much to follow. Appreciate you guys being with us. Bo, I don't want to leave you without a little bit of shout-out, and, and may he rest in peace. I enjoyed your work so much for USA Today. Obviously, you're doing the same thing with Soccer America, and you got this great book. But Roscoe Nance, talk mm -hmm. about a guy in the early days. He was in China in 91. I was with him in Barcelona. He was with us almost every day leading up to the 94 World Cup. 
we lost a great man and a great journalist. Yeah, and he's known mostly as an NBA journalist, but in doing a lot of the research that I've done over the years, I've bumped into his name a lot in the early days uh, when MLS was picked as the Division One league in this country. He was covering that. And I was happy to write for USA Today because they're – uh, their commitment to soccer has been erratic over the years, but at least they had some people doing it. At least in, in some cases, I was almost doing it sur uh, surreptitiously, but uh, no one came in and told me to stop. Uh, mm -hmm. so, th so that was good. I was always proud to be there, and that was something that um, a tradition that Roscoe helped to build. Well said. All right, plug away your book and uh, your pot, whatever you want to plug, and then we'll <laughs> let Glenn and then we'll sign off. Uh, Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup, a historical and cultural reality check is available from your favorite online bookseller, uh, eBooks as well. Uh, you can see me in Soccer America. You can also see me occasionally in The Guardian, but uh, for The Guardian, I write, write for a uh, wide variety of topics. Uh, Soccer America, it is soccer. That's Bo Dewar. Glenn Crooks, you got so many things. Get them all in there quick. Hi, very quickly. Uh, the Coaching Academy, Sirius XM FC, which is cool. I'm doing double duty here. Uh, Dean, It's uh, we're on Podcast Row, and then I'm also doing my show live upstairs. And uh, I write for Pro Soccer USA, where I do the podcast on frame. I do the radio commentary for New York City FC, and I'm the head coach uh, of a team at PDA, so I get to coach still. How cool is that? that? That's pretty cool, I got, yeah. How's my, I got a good life, Dean. Okay, great to spend time with Bo and Glenn back in January, and it's interesting as you reflect on some of their points, there has been some positive changes going on at U.S. Soccer. You know about uh, Cindy Parlow in as president. They've hired a new CEO and good things are shaken for U.S. Soccer and things are also moving along with ECNL and how that's going to work. Perhaps U.S. Soccer pulling out a little bit of the youth soccer business as that was another point covered there by Glenn and Bo. I'll tell you what, it's worth reflecting to brighter days. The convention was awesome in Baltimore, and Megan O'Keefe, who was kind enough to join me on Podcast Row, she caught up with Becky Burley. Again, this was pre-COVID-19, and Becky Burley expresses her love for United Soccer Coaches. Always worth listening to the great Becky Burley, longtime head coach at the University of Florida and longtime advocate for women in soccer. Becky Burley, when we return. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. We are back with the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, and I am joined by Becky Burley, head coach of the Florida Gators. Thank you so much for joining us here I'm today. excited. This is awesome. So we were just chatting. You've been coming here since when? Since when? Uh, since the, I think it was my senior year of college was the first one I came to because I was going to like network and get a job, you know? Nice. Well, how did that, do you remember your first time? Um, I do remember my first time because my college coach, Joe Pereira, like took me around and introduced me to everyone. And I mean, I was meeting like all these big wigs and I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm so nervous. <laughs> <laughs> well, now you're a bigwig, whether you want to admit to it or not. But you just finished up your 25th season with the Gators, is that right? Yeah, that's a little crazy. Wow, wow. So um, we talked earlier in the season, and you mentioned the big 25th anniversary celebration. How did that go? It was a lot of fun. We had um, we had a good variety of players from all different eras of Gator soccer and um you know, you can't get those women together without it being a good time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of a good time with a big group of powerful, awesome women, I heard you hosted this awesome party here at the convention, <laughs> the, uh, what was it, the Women's Soccer Social? Yeah, that was fun. I have to give a big shout out to the Soccer Chat guys, Nick and Sean. Because, oh, they're our neighbors yes, over here. They, they were amazing. Um, we, we captured some good video walking around as the man and woman in the street in uh, the convention, and um, we did a little car karaoke that we got some people to do and that is so fun it was hilarious so what was your ultimate goal is this the first time that you've had this event at the convention well we've always had the social but we wanted to make it a little um you know hipper and, mm -hmm. and maybe appeal to some of the younger coaches too and um so nick and sean you know are much 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 younger than me so <laughs> i needed the millennials to help me yeah <laughs> did, so did you participate in the singing of the songs um, well i did have a very brief appearance on the car karaoke with uh, a few other people it was not a it was not a single <laughs> event. It was, uh, there was four of us in the car. What was 
your song of choice? Uh, we did a little Lizzo. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, keeping it hip. I like it. All right, so you have been coming to the convention for several years and now presenting pretty frequently. What What was the message in some of your presentations here this year? Well, I think for me, um, I, the conventions and presenta- present, presenting at the convention is a really good way to give back. And it's it's hard because it's a big responsibility to, to provide information to especially young and upcoming coaches. But the two that I did uh, yesterday were both based on Brene Brown's work, Dare to Lead. And then today I'm doing Win with Brett Ledbetter and What Drives Winning. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I remember talking with your team earlier in the season, and it was so cool to hear from your players, not only just talking soccer, but about the culture you've instilled. And they, every single one of them said how Coach Becky instills the, the person over the player. Um, is that something that has really been your goal as a coach? Well, I do think that, you know, we are still in an educational setting in college, and we know that wins and losses matter. We totally understand that whole dynamic. But at the same time, like, our goal is to educate players and prepare them for the next step, whether that next step is to play professional or whether it's to do something else. Um, and I think we should all take that responsibility pretty seriously and look at the holistic person and not just them as a player. Yeah, yeah, some pretty powerful stories. Um, and one in particular I want to chat about quickly is Brooke Dunn, updating on that. So can you first just give us a background story on Brooke and who she is to the team? Well, Brooke is um, a young leukemia patient, or cancer patient, I should say, not leukemia. Um, but the way it came about was through our Lauren Evans, who was a leukemia patient and the two of them just you know Lauren really 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 wanted our team to have a young person on our team that we could really bond with and she did a lot of the legwork to make that happen and her and Lauren's bond Brooke and Lauren's bond has just been amazing to watch and not only did we get Brooke but we got her sister Addison who is hilarious (laughs) Um, they come on the sidelines of all our games um they got their own stretching rope, so they're very oh, excited good. for the end of games because of that's their favorite part <laughs> is the stretching. Oh, of course. So what does it mean to have Brooke on the team? Also, I remember her um, her father spoke on the day that she signed, and the story that he shared about her hair was so powerful. What, mm-hmm. what, what exactly was that story? So basically she lost her hair due to the chemo treatments, and so her father was going to shave his head in mm-hmm. solidarity with her, but instead um, Brooke asked him to grow his hair so that he could have it long enough to donate to create wigs for other kids. And so her dad has this beautiful mane of hair. Luscious locks. It is. He does have some luscious locks. And and I just think it's been such a, it's just been such a powerful story for our team to relate to and give some perspective in a world where, you know, we really do get caught up in the day-to-day of school and of Mm -hmm. soccer. And and when you see somebody just, like, enjoying running around on the field. Yeah. That's just so refreshing. Yeah. So you signed her onto the team. I think early August. Yes. Um, what was the news that she found out a couple days after she signed? Well, this is kind of a crazy story because she she got like the cancer free, and when you get cancer free at the hospital, you ring a bell. Mm-hmm. So we wanted her to ring a bell at our practice. Awesome. So, but I found out literally like the day that she rang the bell. I didn't know it before, so I'm like, okay, we got to find a bell for this afternoon. <laughs> and I'm thinking, who on our campus is going to have a bell? You know. Yeah. So, well, Scott Strickland, our athletic director, came from Mississippi State, known for cowbells. Okay. So I'm oh. like, surely he has a cowbell. He must. So the story went that we went and got the cowbell. Um, we rang the bell at practice and it was a gator cowbell, which was pretty unusual. That is awesome. Somebody had given him this bell when he came to Florida. We rang the bell. Uh, it was a big deal for our team. And then um, Shelly, our director of ops, gave Brooke the bell, unbeknownst <gasps> to me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I went to go return the bell to our <laughs> athletic director and we had no bell. Oh, so, no. Looks like so, Mine now. Yeah. Well, well, it all worked out in the end because we got a very identical bell. Um, so uh, Brooke gave us the bell back, and we <laughs> Sorry, gave her Brooke. her bell, and all Aww. is well in the world. All is well with the bell. <laughs> yes. That's 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 a hilarious story. So, what is Brooke's role now with the team? What, what's the status of their relationship? Well, there? we actually um, it's kind of a little surprise, so I hope she doesn't listen to this before this Uh-oh. happens. But um, tell us, Brooke. <laughs> we we are making these T-shirts for our whole team, um, and it says. Um, be you, but in it, in the BU, it says be yourself, and it's like yeah. it's got a Gator logo on it, and it, it was going to be a present for Brooke and Addison for Christmas, but then we decided it would be even a bigger present if the whole team had them. Yeah, so oh, that'll be awesome. Be yep. Wow, wow, let us know so we can get some cool footage of that. Yeah, we'll That's gonna it's going to be, awesome. be fun. I'm, I'm excited about it. Are you guys going to present that in the springtime or maybe Yeah, in the fall? we have a home spring game, and we're hoping they'll be able to come up for that. Awesome. Wow, that, that'll be really exciting. Yeah. So, talking about the spring, I know it's technically the off-season, but what are some things that you're focusing on or just excited about 
about with this new group? Well, it is always like the beginning of a new season when you start in January. Like some people think our season starts in August. I always feel mm-hmm. like it starts in January. Yeah. But it's also a time where we have a little bit more time to do some other things besides soccer. So uh, one of the things I'm excited about is our team um, gave us some really good feedback. We have a Real World Weekly, mm-hmm. and our Real World Weekly is every Wednesday, and it's something that's totally out, not to do with soccer, and they get to pick the things that they want to have happen during that two hours. Oh, wow. So they've asked for some things like... Um, Taxes, like learning how to do your taxes. Uh, we've done etiquette dinners. We did a lot of players at Florida Drive, you know, scooters like that. Uh-huh. So we did scooter maintenance. <laughs> we did, um, we've done a whole bunch of different things. So they've given us a whole new list of things that they want to learn about, and um, we're getting ready to put our curriculum together for that. That is really cool. It's That's fun. Super it's diverse, fun. and I mean, also just girls get to share their outside interests and activities. But exactly. speaking of scooters, heard you have a hot <laughs> ride to to practice. Well, I, you know, I I. I really do like the whole scooter life at Florida. Hashtag scooter, <laughs> scooter life. Um, but because I only live a mile and a half away from school, so I have a I have a really nice Vespa. Her name is Pearl. She's pearl colored. But then I also Perfect. bought you know into the craze of the electric two wheeled um, you know like the bird or the lime yes. scooters. Mm-hmm. So I have one of those plugged in my office for just little <laughs> jaunts around campus. The, the Vespa goes back and forth to campus, but the lime is just around campus. So all your players <laughs> know. Coach, there's Coach Becky. There she goes. Well, hey. I, I think they try to hide when they see me because they're probably a little embarrassed but yeah <laughs> like mom you're embarrassing me exactly <laughs> exactly thing. well that that's awesome so you got a lot to look forward to but I actually did have a little chat with my neighbors over here you brought up soccer chats and they wanted to ask me about your first time playing against Anson Dorrance apparently oh. a funny story there yes it was a pretty funny story so um we, me, Sean, and Nick went around the convention the other day, and I, can I can I say the S word like shit on this? <laughs> well, there it goes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let's go. All right, so we, we walked around. We have bleeping abilities. Okay, perfect. So we walked around, and we asked people, if you were going to write a book at the end of your career, mm-hmm. and you were going to have a chapter, and in this book, the title of the book would be... Um, shit you can't make up. (laughs) What would your contribution be? So I told them that I was playing in goal at Methodist College, which is now Methodist (laughs) University because we're big time. Mm -hmm. Um, time. And it was... um, it was about seven minutes before the game was supposed to start, and Anson's team at UNC rolls up like late. Clearly, no one is surprised by this. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so as he's rolling up, a ball goes behind the goal. So I go run back to get the ball, and I hear Anson yelling in the van, um, "Hey, first eleven people that get dressed are starting." <laughs> And then they kicked our ass, and we, we lost 6 nothing. So, Did you see just the panic in the girls? I, I, I was just like, okay, like, clearly it doesn't matter what 11 players step on the field against us. Mm. They're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I just picture the girls' eyes in the bus, like, gotta go. Like, they're already ripping their clothes off. It was pretty funny. That's funny. Well, yeah, like you said, whoever's on that field under Anson Torrance is probably. That's right. That, that, was, the, that was a big-time uh, disparity in talent, but we always mm. loved that game. That was my favorite game of the year. I would go around to all my teammates in the dorm, and I'd be like, tomorrow we're going to, like, shock the world. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest upset in history. Soccer America is going to be front front page. And I'm really dating myself. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you, I mean, clearly you've, you've notched up plenty of wins in your career, so I think we can make up for just that one. But um, one final question that I do want to ask, I've been uh, enjoying asking this to a lot of coaches, um, what would you be doing if you weren't coaching soccer? Oh, my goodness. Well, my, one of my goals in life, this is not a career, but I really want to be in a flash mob. So anybody out there who's doing one, <laughs> can make it full time. Put, put me in. Put me in your list. Put me in, coach. Uh, but now, as far as a career, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Like, that's my problem. There's so many things that I think I could enjoy doing yeah. that I don't know if I could really narrow it down. Well, I, I originally thought I would be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, That was the practical side of my family. They're like, well, coaching's not like a real job, so maybe you could like teach and coach. Um but, You're like, look at me now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just think there's so many interesting things yeah. out there to do that I wouldn't want to limit myself to just one. Okay. Well, here's one thing. Then you have a free day. No practice, no games, no nothing. What are your three activities you're definitely hitting up? Um, well, I am definitely going to get up and probably take the dog for a walk, the dogs, because we are foster failures. Um, <laughs> what do you mean by failure? Uh, they end up living with us permanently. Yep. You just have them all. <laughs> um, and then, let's see... Um, I, I really wish I had more time to read, so I would probably carve out like at least a little time to read. Um, definitely go to a good restaurant, Oof. get some good food, Dragonfly in Gainesville, Florida, best restaurant ever. 
just the sushi. plug. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag not an ad. Yes. Just love it. Um, and then let's see. Um, I don't know. I think I'd have to be doing something active. I really yeah. enjoy um, outdoor activities. I'm not an nice. indoor person. Nice. I'm, well, that makes sense. You get to spend <laughs> most of your days outside anyway. And last but not least, you've been a part of the United Soccer Coaches organization for so long. What does this organization mean to you? I think the best thing about the United Soccer Coaches is it really gives a pathway for young coaches to get involved. And you can start out on kind of like a very easy level, like introducing a speaker, which yeah. back then is like super scary. Yeah. And then you can work your way up into presenting and having, you know, be on committees or be an officer in the organization. Like it's a really clear pathway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unusual for a young coach to be able to have that opportunity. And it's given me um, a huge boost in my confidence to be part of this organization. Awesome. Thank you so much to head coach Becky Burley for being on the podcast. This has been the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, Becky. Thank you, Megan O'Keefe. We also want to thank John Mayer, the longtime chair for the High School Girls All-American. He's also part of the awards committee, working with Steve Veal, does great work at United Soccer Coaches, trying to still recognize the great high school athletes, including those athletes that had their high school seasons cut short, particularly several girls programs throughout the country in the spring. John Mayer kicking us off. And then how about Bo Dewar, who is with Soccer America, formerly with USA Today. And he has just written a book, Why the U.S. Men Will Never Win the World Cup, an historical and cultural reality check, as well as the multi-talented, multi-faceted Glenn Crooks, longtime coach at Rutgers. He was the coach when Carly Lloyd was there. Now he is a commentator for New York City FC on the radio. He's got the On Frame podcast on Pro Soccer USA. He's got a show on Sirius. He is a coach for PDA. He does it all. Glenn Crooks, Bo Dewar, also on the program. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Especially want to thank Sean Chevro and Mike Knipper at United Soccer Coaches, as well as Lynn Berlin Manuel and Jeff Van Dusen and Ian Barker and Steve Veal and Rob Kehoe and all the great folks. Erica, just great people. And I'm blessed to be here with you. I'm Dean Linky for the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We'll see you next week and stay on the lookout for more special webinars that uh, I have the great honor of hosting. Great work, great guests. Check those out as well. For everybody, D. Linky saying so long. See you next week.